Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So good afternoon and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM at Chapel FM Arts Centre in Studio One where I am with some lovely guests and with Henry and Elle. Henry is our broadcasting worker, Elle is on the desk and learning but she seems very competent to me already. Um, so um, today we're going to be talking about education we're going to be talking about different approaches to education, particularly progressive approaches to education. This 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 is started really with me talking to Naomi from Fall Into Place. We were having a chat in the cafe, and we were talking about the ratio, the ratio Emilia approach. And we thought, oh, why don't we just have this discussion with a few other people in the studio? So that's kind of what we're doing. Um, so we've got Elizabeth Powell. Fran Cairns, Naomi Roxby-Wardle and Dave Price. Dave uh, is on Zoom um, today. Uh, and so first of all, uh, yeah, hello, Dave, are you there? I am. How are you doing, Peter? Fine. Really lovely, lovely to hear you and lovely to, to have you with us. Hello, Fran. Hello. Nice to have you with us. And Elizabeth. Hi. And Naomi. Hi. We're actually having this discussion. We well, not quite. We're nearly there. Yeah, we've made it happen. It's good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, first of all, 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 all you people uh, work in education or with education um, and have a, a great deal of experience. So, it'd be just lovely to hear, really, just from you a little about your journey to where you are now and what you do. So, Fran, would you lead off? Sure. So um, I, I started working in youth theatre um, straight out of university um, after having been in youth theatre for many years and really enjoyed it myself. Um, I then went off to get a PGCE um, and worked as a year six teacher for a number of years but found that the, the, the constrictiveness of the classroom was, was quite a struggle for me. So I've moved back now into youth theatre but I also do theatre and education workshops in schools um, so bringing a bit of the joy and the excitement of theatre into the school environment so I think I've found my best of both worlds. Absolutely and you're with brave words. Yes I yes. am oh, sorry. No Should that's all right that. no not at all because <laughs> uh, we you know we work closely with you and have done over the years and it's lovely to meet you after all this time. Um, Elizabeth. Yeah so um, I did a psychology degree and then did a PGC same as you um, and went into education and felt really disheartened I think it felt very much uh, painting by numbers back then we had QCA documents and national literacy and numeracy strategy it was not really what I was wanting it to be um, eventually after a few years of teaching had by then two children I was asked to go into early years and that was where everything changed and I've never looked back I became an early years leading teacher which led me to go on a British Council funded study tour to Reggio Emilia um, and then as part of that, um, my head teacher then said that if I went to Reggio Emilia as part of the uh, study tour, I was allowed to effect some change when I came back and I've never done things the same since. Uh, and so I've been on a really big journey. What we do at my school now is not Reggio Emilia approach. I think the one thing that you get from going to Reggio Emilia is that you need to find 
the right path for your children, your families, and what you believe is right in this country, because obviously we're not in Italy. We don't have Italian families. So uh, now we're looking at a, an approach that is that I feel is progressive and also right for the future for our children. I actually talked to uh, Reggio Child last night. <laughs> She's now 50, or odd, uh, Linda Garelli, and she uh, grew up in Reggio Emilia, and, and I wanted to ask her some questions about that experience, but I'm, I'll, I'll feed that into the discussion later on. But it, was, it's, it sounded really inspiring, actually. Yeah. Thanks, Elizabeth. So, Naomi. It's funny that you say that I work in education because I, I would never say that that's what I do. But I suppose working with children and being involved in schools and things like that, we are a part of that education. But I very much come at it from creativity and arts and youth work. So I work for LS14 Trust and Fall Into Place, who are also based in Seacroft. And um, we look at kind of community and youth development and look at creative approaches to that. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Naomi. And finally, Dave. Well, yeah, um, I also had a, a, an arts background and um, just fell into education by accident, really. Cut a very long story short. I, I worked in community arts. Then I fell into uh, further education um, and taught in higher education. Um, and then uh, around about 2000, uh, started leading uh, innovation projects, mainly in the uh, primary and secondary space, um, and have done so ever since, I guess. Um, funnily enough, I was, because uh, I, I speak at a lot of conferences, and um, the last one I was speaking at was, well, not the last one, most recent one, I, I, I guess, was in Bologna. Um, so, and, and I clearly needed to be brought up to date with my um, Reggio um, Emilia uh, history as well. But I, I, I thought it was fascinating. It does seem to be under threat, under some sort of threat, which is depressing. Um, but perhaps we can get into that later. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Dave. Well, I'm going to be um, I'm going to be a bit of a provocateur at the outset. Um, I'm, I'm, there's a fantastic uh, quote from Albert Einstein in one of your articles, Elizabeth, which is, and this is Einstein talking, the only thing that prevents me from learning is my education, um, which is not a quote that I knew, but it's, it's, it's rather wonderful, I think. Um, and education, obviously, in this country, perhaps everywhere, is, is there are tremendous challenges facing people who work in education and schools. Um, but um, this, a very big question, I know, but what is education for i think that's something i think we should head off with i know it's a big question it would probably take up all the time if we just stayed with that but um we won't but just to get our, our ourselves um just the revs going so dave first of all to you oh thanks a lot <laughs> well first of all the reason why you probably hadn't heard that quote is because he probably never said it Einstein just gets attacked on any quote that people think is, oh, that's good. I wonder who said it. I'll just say it was Einstein. Um, but aside from that, the, what is education for is a really interesting question and one that in this country, at least, we st I believe we still haven't cracked. I was once speaking with Pazi Salberg, who, who wrote the book Finnish Lessons, when everybody wanted to go to Finland. I said, what's the, what's the difference between the Finnish system and the, the English system, Pazi? And he said, well... 
you, you you still argue about what what's education for? He said in Finland we agreed it about a hundred years ago, and he said so we've got past that, and we just talk about the 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 what and the how rather than the why. So I I, I still think we're living with a an outdated model that it's about job preparation. And in a world of artificial intelligence, um, it seems to me it's got to be much more nuanced and more sophisticated than that. Okay. And when we emailed uh, before, you talked about you'd just been thinking about some some new development in AI that that you be you wanted to talk about. Is that does that have a place here, or have you forgotten all about that? <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy to, to lob it in because. Everybody has come across this chat GPT, which is just one um, example of, art. in fact, it's not really artificial intelligence, but it's a language learning model and it has revolutionized education already, even though it's only been out a couple of months. You know, teenagers all over the world are using it um, to write essays. They should be using it to, to, to research essays, but a lot of them, the lazy ones, just kind of get it to write it. But nevertheless, it is challenging everything and it's going to challenge the way that we assess um, education because it's no longer, it seems to me, about what you know um, because proving what you know is is now highly contestable with with artificial intelligence. But I think it's about what you can do with what you know. And that, to me, gets you into a much more interesting area so most of the people who are taking part in this conversation are probably like me. We've been advocating for change for decades and um, not get, frankly, not getting anywhere with, with this Tory government. Um, and yet this, this little chatbot comes along and throws everything up in the air. So I think it's a, it's a particularly interesting time right now and we will have to change. Now, how, how fast that change will be it remains to be seen um and people will try to block it and stop it um certainly i do a lot of work in australia and almost all of the states there in australia have blocked chat gpt as if they weren't another 1100 apps which they currently are uh, what they're going to do block all of them they can't and and also artificial intelligence is going to be the tool that all our young people incorporate into their work on an hourly basis so it's it's stupidity of the highest kind to to say well you can't get ex exposure to that they're already doing it they're doing it at home we may as well get them how to, uh, to so that they understand how to use it responsibly ethically creatively because it can be really boring when you when you look at the outputs but actually, when you work with it and integrate it into your work in 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 the corporate world, they've already accepted that it's here to stay. In the education world, w typically we are squabbling over whether it's the right thing to do. Okay, well, thanks, Dave. But yeah, something returning to something you you said earlier, education might be very loosely about these days about working with what you know and applying that rather than learning things by rote, which we seem to have been stuck in for a very long time. But can I come to to you three? So, Naomi, what is education for? 
I thought what you said Dave there was really interesting because I think what I've been saying for a while is that idea of like it's just so behind times isn't it the world's moved on and education sort of needs to catch up with that we need to be producing creative thinkers critical thinkers because that's the sort of thing that artificial intelligence can't do and we need to be working out what makes us beautiful and unique and special as humans and instilling that into the education system rather than going with mental maths and learning loads of information we've got phones in our pockets we're going to keep having phones in our pockets remember when I was a kid and I was really bad at mental maths and my teacher quote said to me Naomi you need to learn this because you'll never be carrying a calculator around in your pocket well <laughs> you <laughs> are what happened. I hope you turned it off now <laughs> thank you very much Naomi that's lovely actually yeah I totally resonate with that anybody who works in the arts would resonate with what you said Elizabeth it's a very thought-provoking question isn't it and I think it's what is education for I suppose it depends on whether you're thinking about society or whether you're thinking about individuals or whether you're thinking about employment, um, I always come down to, certainly with the children that I'm working with, it's about they, their capacities, their learning capacities, their capabilities. And that's one thing that came sort of driving towards me like a truck when I was in Reggio Emilia. It's about those innate capabilities of humans, not just of early years, children working in early years, but the innate capacities of human beings to become the best that they can be. So regardless of which job it is that you're going for, you need to have those really strong capabilities, your problem solving, risk taking, tenacity, resilience, happiness to make mistakes, ability to work with other people and to collaborate. It's those skills that are going to forge the individual forward with a strong sense of self-worth and emotional well-being, which is really important. Those pro-social behaviours have been able to get on in society and, and to work alongside other people. But that's also what the economy needs. The economy needs those people, those capacities as well. They need, they need people with that strong, uh, those strong capabilities, that really that self-reliance. There's a big mental health crisis at the moment as well. You need people who really believe in themselves and yeah, and can and can work, like I say, well with with lots of different people. And, and with AI, and perhaps. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I think assessments really key because that's sort of taken the rug out from under a lot of people's feet, hasn't it? Those chat, those those. But my, I know my own son who's at university at the moment has talked about those apps that people are using to create essays and things. People are going to have to look at assessing in a slightly different way, aren't they? And actually, what is what are the things that you? So when when employers, um, when CBI, uh, the you know the CBI are talking about the, the capabilities that they want from people that are leaving school, it is those capabilities that we're trying to instill in children at a really early age, isn't it? Though, and and we're going to have to find some way to assess those capabilities, um, but it's not as easy as say assessing phonics, which is why we obsess with that sort of data because it's it's easy, it's tick box data, isn't it? Have you passed? Have you not passed? Absolutely. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah. And, and before we move on, let's, uh, yeah, Fran, over to you in terms of what is education for, particularly at the moment. You mm. know. So I, I really, really chime with what Elizabeth was saying about capacity. I think it is hugely about um, releasing young people's capacity, their potential. But I think as well, we've got very stuck in this country into um, thinking that education is what happens at school and only really at school and we can pass any ideas or any worries about education on to teachers and it's on their shoulders alone 
Whereas I think actually for young people, they are learning all the time from the moment they wake up to the moment they fall asleep. And there are so many different places that they can learn, so many different opportunities for learning. And we've unfortunately um, stripped back an awful lot of the services and an awful lot of the, the facilities that used to be there to facilitate children's learning and just their ability to discover joy in life. Um, so for me, those those two things, that the ability to to find joy, to find happiness in something that you love doing and to be instructed and to figure out yourself how to do that really well, how to get into that. Um, that's hand in hand with education and without that, without that unleashing of your own joyful potential, you're just in a trudge of mental maths <laughs> day after day. And if that's not your thing, you need some sort of potentially extracurricular activity that helps you to find your thing and to feel good about yourself. Thanks very much, Fran. Dave, do you want to respond to any of that before we move? Yeah, if I, if I can, because it seems to me what what everyone is saying, which is largely you know the, the, the same thing, is would also be shared by most teachers around the country. So the question for me is, well, well why aren't we doing it? You know, why aren't we changing it? And of course, it's because we've got a government which, frankly, has an inherent distrust of teachers and students, um, and and is more concerned over what can be measured than what is actually needed. I dare say, we've if if you if you looked at whoever's in charge of education, we're on our fourth Secretary of State for Education right now in a year. Um, but I dare say you, you'd hear them say largely the same things. You know, they talk about what employers need. The reality is it that's not what's in the curriculum and that's not what, what people like Ofsted are looking for when they when they come inspecting. So I think part of the the problem that we're that we're all facing is where's the where's the lever that we can pull which will force this government to change? Um and for me it's parents, um, or do we just have to wait another 18 months and hope that Labour have got some better ideas? I believe that they have. I believe that they're, they're already talking to, to leading educational thinkers. And I think things will be different. But parents are notoriously conservative. And I think, you know, one of the things that I do is run parental workshops, which is just presenting this picture about how the world is changing and 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 why we, we education has to catch up it's true uh, as as I, I think it might have been Naomi who said it that they're they're learning everywhere and yet i can think of one example which is uh, in dubai of all places where they've said look why can't we recognize what what you do when you're not in school why can't we accredit you know like if you happen to be good at sport or you've you've got terrific uh, musical ability why can't we accredit that if you're doing work for your community why can't we accredit that and and you know i i featured in my last book the power of us i featured an interview with a young man who is he's incredible and he's done so many amazing things he's already got the webby person of the year he he built america's most popular um web tracking thing for covid and yet 
he he had a lousy GPA, which is equivalent to our kind of GCSEs. And so he he really thought he would struggle to get into a college because none of his work that he was doing was being recognised. And and that seems to me to be balmy. Mm, absolutely. Um, we You've talked about... Uh a change of government i mean it seems to me that it's it's a deeper kind of cultural change we need really and whether i don't i don't know i'm not i'm just facilitating the questions here but it's but elizabeth some people will be one we've referred to raising amelia it would be and they might not people might not know what that is and let's let's move on to discussing um sort of progressive approaches that really do challenge the culture really do try and change and establish a, a ground culture that's very different and could you explain please the basic principles of Reggio? Yeah so I think the Reggio Emilia approach is very one thing that absolutely blew my mind when I went there first of all was how they spoke about children so I think it's definitely about what is your what is your what is your sort of opinion about the child if you what is your image of the child and I think that's where we come to our culture and in this country. And even just like anecdotally, when I've taken my own children to Italy, how different children are treated there. So when I took my two-year-old son to, you know, to a, to a restaurant in, in Rome and it's late at night, then everyone's, you know, adoring of him as they are with all children. They, you know, they have this real sort of family, family connection and family vibe and really sort of value that the, the, the well, you know, the, the grandparents, the whole family walking, promenading in the piazza on a, on a night in the town. Whereas in this country, it's still a little bit of that children should be seen and not heard. And I think that that is, is still part, that Victorian imagery of children is still permeating through society because it takes a really long time for culture to change, doesn't it? So in Reggio Emilia, they have um, children are more allowed to explore. It's using children's interests to sort of observe and spend a long time watching children researching uh, having hypotheses, testing things out, giving them that time to develop their languages. So they talk about the hundred languages of children. So every child has their capacity of. It comes back to what you were saying, Fran, before about you know what are children's passions, what are their interests, what are their fascinations, and not everybody's is the same. So it's using those fascinations and interests to to develop your capabilities and your capacities. They talk about the environment as the third educator. So it's very much about the resources that you use. So the practitioners are really important, but the resources, the environment is also really important. Lots of open-ended, what they would refer to as intelligent resources. Um, when we went to Reggio, they have um, these places that you can go and visit where there's just all these sort of intelligent resources. So uh, objects with no predefined end, predefined use. So it can be anything. It could be a, a tube or a piece of wood or, you know, anything, a cotton reel. And um, they can use those creatively. There's no definite way that you need to use them but all of those things in Reggio Emilia are free for the practitioners to go and use whereas in this country we have some really fantastic places like Kirkstall Scrap Store is amazing mm. um, but obviously you know you're having to buy it and we don't have much money in schools <laughs> so you know that 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 is so yeah so it's very much about really sitting back and observing and watching the children listening to what they say spending a long time analysing it. Parents get really involved, so they do a lot of documentation, so uh, they don't really have just displays how we would in this country. It would be the the child's words and the interpretation of the child's words by different educators, uh, listening to, observing, watching the children, trying to work out what is this telling me, what is the, the way the child is playing, the way that they're exploring what they're saying, what does it tell me about the direction that they're wanting their learning to take and how can I facilitate and support that? So that's... Mm. Go on, Fran. Um, yeah, so 
I think that's it's really on point. I think it's just made me think of some of my experiences. So I've worked across private, public and state schools. Um, and I've been lucky enough to go into a couple of Waldorf and Steiner schools as well. And I think with some quite similar approaches to the Reggio Emilia approach. Um, and it it's always seemed to me that in this country, you can absolutely get that wonderful child-centred approach if you're capable of paying for it <laughs> to the tune of thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of pounds a year, um, which is just entrenching the belief in future generations um, that our wealthiest children are deserving of being listened to and capable of um, putting themselves forward and their passions are important. Mm -hmm. But our, our least wealthy children, our disenfranchised children, they're the ones who need to shut up and listen, which is completely unacceptable. Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same thing, Fran. And I suppose the other thing that I, that, that I want to pick up on is that idea of that parent being so involved in that learning. Obviously, ideally, that's absolutely what we want. And most parents also really want that. However, if you are working full time or you're a single parent household or you're really struggling to feed your family, being involved in that learning is just not a possibility for those families. And that's where schools, and I, I, am, I am quite passionate about this, this particular thing because it's something that's going on a lot at the moment. Schools are almost filling that role as well of not just being an educator, but being a social worker, supporting families. And, and so with all of this, how do we also support learning and the parents support learning? It just doesn't feel possible. One of the things that um, when I talked to Glenda last night, uh, and did a bit of reading, and I think it's also in your articles, Elizabeth, is, is this idea with, in Reggio that we, we, in this country, education happens in the school, and that's, that's what you're saying, Fran, isn't it, really? And that, that it's really, that, that education is a responsibility of the whole community, and not just the school. Um, I mean, I thought that came through very powerfully, and I guess that's, now the schools are doing everything. But it's um, also one thing you talked about, Elizabeth was the social was the social nature of the interactive nature of all the education regio. Glenda was she she got into a bit she went off on a bit of a dream last night. She said I just remember so much about the the, the sort of the structure of the day and she talked about the materials lying around to make stuff. She was between the ages of three and five, and she talked about the kind of environment. You said that the environment is the third teacher, you know, and the building was designed beautifully, she said, because you had this kind of hall, which was the dining hall, and there was good food being prepared. And then, you know, all the classrooms came off that that space, that central space. And then after lunch, she remembers the blinds, you know, the story time, you know, and then the blinds were drawn, and those Italian blinds, you know, those sort of those external blinds, and then the cots were got out, and they had their sleep. And, and it seems, yeah, quite structured in a way, but I mean, how have you? Yeah, have you have you tried to, to interpret that? You said it's difficult in this country to to take it root and branch and transplant it to this country. Have you have you have you taken any ele any elements of regio and tried to put it into practice? Yeah, I mean, I think they'd advise that you should definitely not do that. And and I think you know when people talk about doing regio, you can't do that because mm. you're not in Italy. So it's really about taking. One thing that I thought was really powerful when I went to Italy was talking about the central philosophy of your education. So what is your philosophy of education? What is it that you want your children to have? Um, and what are their rights? And so I suppose it's, it's using that and then it's thinking about 
what um, how can we facilitate the, the development of those uh, those capabilities, that absolute sense of self-worth, I am a really capable learner. So it's a lot about listening to children, still observing children. So lots of those aspects are in place. Um, but our children, they plan what they're going to do. So they're planning projects that are linked to their interests. And then we are sort of supporting the children to work through to get to a, an end point that, that, that they're happy with and that could be anything and that's what I like about it so it's about involving the children using the children's interests so the first thing we do when the children come through the door is, is just talk to them and plans they might have brought something in that would might inspire them or somebody else might have brought something in that would inspire them and it's then just talking and coming up with ideas and other people feeding in ideas until they come up with something that they're really passionate about they'd really like to do and then you're supporting them to develop those skills so often children hit a difficult a difficulty within the project that they're working on so they might want to give up and they might find and so sometimes you do find children that have you know disappeared off somewhere and so it's like you know bringing them back and giving them some feedback and supporting them and having a bit of a dialogue and and and, and involving other people that are around them in their problem solving until they achieve something that they're really proud of and it's that sort of repetition of actually look how capable I am look what I can do I found this really difficult but I kept going and and so it's that sort of rep repetition and building up that sense of mm. self-worth yeah she we... talked about the repetition <clears throat> she talked about the very struct the structure being quite freeing in a way once you, it's very sort of you don't get anxious about anything it's not a stressful environment because you know what you're doing all the time but at the same time within those in that structure there's a lot of freedom to explore I suppose is what she was yeah. saying and that's she felt that it influenced her throughout her life I mean she's you know and, and it's still the grounding of her personality Dave uh, I remember you talking about obviously not in early years but this is a different this was in sort of secondary age but you talking about various schools you'd come into contact with where the environment was crucial where students could rearrange furniture and 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 spatial aspects but are there any models for you that that you've been struck by in all your time well yeah i i had my kind of road to damascus moment like elizabeth when i went over to california but but before i get into that peter I would just want to want to challenge this idea, and I know it's that's not what people are saying that you can only do progressive approaches if you've got money. The reality is, cost anything. And, and sorry, we lost you a bit there. Say that again, Dave. Oh, sorry. I'm challenging the idea that you can only adopt progressive approaches if you have money. The reality is that that good ideas don't cost anything. But we have a, such a restrictive system in this country. We have a government that, frankly, would be afraid of things like Reggio or Montessori in the mainstream. And so the only way you can get your kids to, to you know, to, 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 to get the, the whole enchilada and not just a, a little bit of the flavouring is, is to buy them out and, 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 to, and to send them to independent schools. That that there's no there's nothing cast in stone. I suspect most of our uh, primary teachers would want to teach like Amelia or or, or or Montessori. They're just not allowed to. Um, so so all that being said, um, I think what the challenge that we've all got, those of us who are working in the mainstream, is. Is you know how do you how do you work the system? How do you manage to 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 bring in some of those ideas, but still manage to 
be on the right side of the statutory and regulatory constraints that you've got. And I went across to California, I took a bunch of teachers over about oh, 15 years ago now to some schools called High Tech High, and they were doing project-based learning, which, you know, as a musician, everything I did was kind of projects. So on, on the one hand, it felt very familiar, but on the other, it was very, very different um, because it was all kind of public work. Parents were deeply engaged in it. Um, and I just thought this is this is amazing. And I'm I, I've been I've taken educators over there for years and years until COVID. I took them every year. And it seems to me that, you know, the, the, we when when British educators go to these kind of models, there's a kind of mental journey that they have to go on. The first day they're there, they go, well, this is great, but it would never work in our context. And then once they actually talk to the teachers and talk to the kids <clears throat> and seeing that they're, they're getting very good exam results, they're managing to work it within the system. Bit by bit, they have to slowly acknowledge that actually it could work. And some of the people who I took over then went on to found schools like School 21 in London and XP schools in Doncaster who are just doing amazing things and getting fantastic results because they've found a way to be able to bring that progressiveness and innovation into the 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 the, the very strong constraints of the system the one of the rays of hope you talked about that at the beginning is that the the guy who set up school 21 is a fellow called peter hyman and he used to write speeches for tony blair and i know that the labor party are talking to him his he he had the similar kind of road to damascus moment when he went to high tech high built school 21 on that project-based learning model and and has the proof to show that it works so i i i hope that his influence will will bring a bit more progressivism in into you know let's hope it's the next the next labor government well that's fascinating let's let's hope as well elizabeth can we come back to you i mean you have tried to introduce uh, different ways of doing things in your school and in other schools i think but it's i mean how's it gone <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we are a state school as well. So I think, um, you know, talking about independent schools is usually just because they have more opportunities. They don't, they're not constrained by the curriculum. It absolutely is possible. But I think it relies on your management. It rely, relies on people in the school that are leading it to believe in that progressive type of education and, and, to, have, and to be brave because you do have to challenge the system a little bit. And bringing parents along with you is the most important thing. Mm. Because Ofsted, is, um, the, their clients are parents. Mm. So if the parents are happy with what you're doing, then there is, you, know, you can push the boundaries a little bit more. And our parents have been absolutely fantastic. So we do, part of our approach is independent learning time. And we get the parents to do independent learning time with their children. So mm. as a, a little group, as a pairing. But also do independent learning time specifically just for parents and for staff. So, because actually I would say that our approach to education isn't just for children, it's for adults as well. So we've been looking at how we can use our approach for adult training. So absolutely is possible, but you do have to be brave. And I think that's what's really difficult. You shouldn't have to be brave. 
you know mm. you, you you should be able to do it because it's the right thing to do because it develops those it develops the the, the children a, a child learning more holistically mm. you know there is more to life than you know phonics has a place you know i've already talked about it, it does have a place but this obsession with data that we can measure at the expense of other s skills that are harder to measure i suppose that's why the government find it harder to sort of say wholeheartedly yes everybody go and you know have a go at doing this sort of approach because it's harder to assess against isn't it and so they stick to particularly this current government they stick to things that are easy to measure from absolutely and i think more and more the schools that i'm going into there feels to be a culture of fear um of of not getting it right and you know ofsted coming down and you like an absolute hammer which I think is terrifying for senior leadership and for, for teachers right the way through the structure of the school. Um, it's one of the reasons why I love that I'm not in schools anymore <laughs> <laughs> because I, I don't have that fear. Um, and more and more I'm getting children in. So our youth theatres are in disadvantaged areas of the city. Um, we pay what you can. We attempt very hard to cater to people who wouldn't otherwise be able to access the arts um, and we're hearing more and more from our young people that their schools are developing more and more punitive approaches stronger I'm going to use the word stronger I could use the worst word um, <laughs> stronger behavior strategies um, and children are, are coming to us not wanting to go to school anymore, not wanting to learn, not wanting to do anything, but they do want to learn. They just don't want to learn in that environment. Um, so we're taking on quite a lot of that. Um, I'm not going to say pressure because it's an absolute joy, <laughs> but we're taking on a lot of that responsibility um, and trying very hard to follow an approach similar to the Reggio Emilia approach, um, whereby we what we create every every performance that we begin with um it all starts with what the young people want to learn we try to listen to them like they're actual human beings because they are <laughs> you know just because they're small just because they've not got many years on us um they know what they want they know a surprising amount and they will they will always come up with something more important and more wonderful than we could as adults. So, <laughs> yeah. well, I was going to uh, yeah to ask both of you, Naomi and Fran, about well, you both arts practitioners, you know, and, and the arts are famously um, difficult to <laughs> to measure the efficacy of. UK, it's not like data. It's it, it's there aren't right and wrong answers, are they? That you take. So, I mean, how can we? I mean, and, and arts is slipping off curriculums. But I mean, I've just been doing a writing workshop over in Leeds East across the road, and very very keen young people, eight or nine uh, of them, really keen to do some creative writing, and they are coming, and they are there because they have a very very strong advocate in the literacy teacher Jasmine Clark and I don't think they'd be there otherwise to be honest with you so what what can we do I mean I think we're coming up towards the last five or ten minutes of our time together so yeah what can we do folks in terms of um yeah sort of pushing these agendas in schools any ideas I think as David says um let's Let's get someone new in charge who's going to be prepared to fund it adequately because yeah. it's not going to happen otherwise. Nobody can afford to work for free at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think showcase it, you know, talk about it. 
um, this is great, you know, this radio program, sort of writing about it, talking about it, getting other practitioners to come and work alongside you. Mm. Um, just because I think when people do see how powerful it is, then they are more likely to give it a go. But even when people do see how powerful it is, they have to invest the time in it. And I think that's where they think, oh, well, our writing data might be better if we did more writing or if I did more phonics. And so but there's that constant pressure. So I would say that the accountability system needs to change. But I don't know if that's happening anytime soon. But I think in Finland as well, they don't have their equivalent of Ofsted, do they? So they are allowed to be mm. a little bit more forward thinking in terms of, what is it we want for our young people and how do we create it and what is the best way for that rather than worrying about somebody else that's going to come in and tell you, you know, on a day's visit what they think about your whole school mm. and everything about it. What I will say is that we've been offsteaded recently and they really like it. So I think, you know, if, if you're if you're talking about personal development, that's part of the Ofsted framework. You, you know, there are ways for you to ex to explain why it is you're doing what you're doing and you can be creative, but you do have to yeah really sort of believe in it first and foremost and have a very strong philosophy of what it is you want for your children and as you say and you know advocacy telling people if you are doing something interesting like you are doing very interesting things in your school and to the people that Dave is talking about <clears throat> to advocate for that and to you know talk about it publicly but the trouble is in my experience is that people who are who, who are doing this interesting work are so busy doing it they don't actually have time <laughs> to spread the word about it but um so uh, that's a, that's a bit of a bind Dave any 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 thoughts in terms of uh, apart from getting a change of government uh, any other ideas? Well, yeah, I think it's interesting. I'm currently doing some work with the uh, Singapore Department for Education. And, you know, for, for a while, everyone went to Singapore. They've realised that, um, you know, being top of the PISA league tables counts for nothing if your kids are suicidal and depressed. And so their their new curriculum is remarkable. And um, they, they've they've essentially said that they, they're going to abandon the kind of assessment systems that they've had, and they are looking to you know develop empathetic, critical thinkers. And, and I know that they will try their very best to do it. They've they've got the almost the opposite situation to us. I think they've they've had people who've been so dyed in the wool that their teachers, if you said to them, okay. Let's 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 try something different. They find it really hard. We've actually, I think, had some incredible teachers in this country who who would just love for the brakes to be taken off, um, and 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 would would champ at the bit. But the the pressure can only come from parents because they're the ones who vote the governments in. And uh, and yes, uh, you know, Ofsted does do some good work. There's, um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't deny that. But I think the the fear that we've got, and this thing, this guinea pig syndrome. I, the last anecdote I'll give you is I, I, when I was leading a, an innovation project with about forty schools, high schools around the country. Um, one of our advisors was a former Secretary of State for Education, and when I told her what we were planning on doing, she said, "Oh, so you're going to be using these kids as guinea pigs?" And I just thought, how is anything ever going to change? If 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 you're afraid to to actually try and do something different, yeah, guinea pigs is a horrible phrase, isn't it? Thank you very much, Dave. Naomi. 
yeah, I think it's to stop blaming teachers for failures in the education system, stop making teachers the villains, because teachers are working extremely hard under crazy circumstances. And then I think we can't talk about education, we can't talk about children unless their basic needs are filled. And in lots of areas, their basic needs aren't being filled. Kids aren't eating enough, kids aren't sleeping enough, kids haven't got safe homes. How do they even begin to start learning and having creative thoughts if their basic needs aren't filled? And then I suppose the other thing is is putting that child-centred approach, putting that child first. Like, education isn't, like, formal education in schools isn't about the child. It's about the tables. It's about the schools. And actually, that's what's wrong. We need to put that child first and put that child in the middle of their learning. And then I think we can start making some changes. Absolutely. Um, yeah, well, f that's thank you so, so much to all of you for taking part in this. Before we go, I mean, it would be great to just if there's anything you want to talk about in terms of something you're doing at the moment. We're talking about, you know, getting that word out there and, you know, being, being, you know, not being too modest about what we're doing if we're doing good things. Uh, this is a chance really to talk about that finally. So, yeah, Naomi, are you, what are you doing at the moment <laughs> to change the world? To change the world. Um... Well, I think it's about understanding that education starts in the community and supporting the community in a way that isn't about centering organisations, but it's about centering the needs and wants of a community and the We Are Seacroft Collective, where um, I know Chapel FM are a massive part of that and looking at how um, we look at positive change to turning community spirit into community power as a whole community and working together to... Um, advocate for this community and also help to improve things. And that really seems to have been turned around in the last few years during the pandemic, would you say? Yeah, I think that, that working together, that understanding that um, organisations can only do so much by themselves and actually um, we, are, we are better when we are all have the same shared values and the same shared mission. Fantastic, thank you. Fran, anything you'd like to, anything you're excited by at the moment? Um, so straight after this, I'm heading off to one of our young producers sessions. I say heading off. It's here in Chapel <laughs> FM. <laughs> but I've got to go pick some of them up. Um, so it's it's a really exciting project. It was started by our creative producer, Rihanna, um, who's, I'm going to say, almost a young person herself. <laughs> so, she, well, she is a young person, but she's not a, not a child. Um so it's an incredible project where we're bringing um, really promising young people from all of our youth theatres. So from south to north and east, oh, well, not east to west because we're not in West Leeds yet, <laughs> but east to east. <laughs> and um, bringing them together. So they're making creative links across the city um, and basically enabling them to become whatever they want in theatre. So we're basing the whole project on their, their interests um, so they can become designers, they can become sound engineers, stage managers, producers, um, anything within the theatre world. It's a bit, it's a bit of a sort of finger up to um, <laughs> to the old boys network. We're trying to create a young everyone's network um, to to give people a leg up. Excellent, and they're coming in in a few minutes, aren't they? So that'd be lovely um, to. Yeah, yes. yeah, we can see them later on. You're going to have some food with us too, aren't you? Yes, yeah. we are. I can't wait. Great. Um, Elizabeth? I think I just 
want to uh, sort of reach out to anybody who wants to work with us at New Lays, if anyone's interested. And we're just all about promoting children's capabilities, but also the capability of human beings to learn. So whether that be yeah, parents, children, and we're doing lots of work of work of parents working with children. And I'll be writing more articles and working with more schools, hopefully, and just, yeah, trying to push the envelope a little bit. And yeah, well, I, I was really moved in your articles by your by, you know, those accounts by parents who, who are, you know, working with you and uh, just what they're learning about themselves and about their method of learning and how they've learned yeah. in the past and how they're changing that. Yeah, and how yeah. they're cha changing the way that they interact with their children and, mm. and, and allowing them to have, you know, to, to showcase their capabilities more. And children are brilliant and incredibly capable and it's about us as a culture and as a, as a community seeing those capabilities and just showcasing them more. Thank you. Finally, Dave, anything particularly, you talked about the Singapore uh, initiative there, but anything else you want to talk about to trumpet? Well, no, uh, not really. I, 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 like the others, I'm, I, I firmly believe that the answers are going to come from communities. You know, it, it's a cliche, but it does take a village to raise a child. And you've only got to look at what Chris Dyson achieved in Seacroft to, to see that you can do incredible things when you when you kind of get the whole community engaged and 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 dynamic uh, uh, around the importance of that education. So all of my kind of work is 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 around that, and I'm off uh, to Australia soon, and I'm working particularly with with a school that is doing incredible things with their community. I, I just wish we had more examples like Seacroft um in 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 this country well brilliant thanks ever so much to to all of you for taking part and thank you to al for being on the desk and thank you for henry to be sitting there in a avuncular kind of way <laughs> <laughs> all the way through um so yeah you've been listening to love the words this 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 program will be like all of them on our website in perpetuity you can listen to it again and, and the invitation is there to anybody here if you want to you know we can continue this discussion when you know we could come come together again in a you know in a year's time or something and see where we are and how we're going and whether things have changed and uh, whether the culture is is changing and hopefully it will so um in the next program is going to be in fact young people doing a music program they're getting set up next door in studio two team music so uh, thank you ever so much for listening and that's all for now. Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Chuva cai